Another edition of the Dumb and Dumbest Podcast, the music industry podcast where everything is terrible and the house is on fire. I'm your co-host, Tifi from GhostCultMag.com. And with me, as always, is my amazing co-host, Curtis Dewar. Hello, hello. And Curtis, please welcome in our special guest today. We have Gary Stoutmeister, which I probably butchered the pronunciation of, of the amazing Zimbabwe-based nuclear winter. Oh, hi there, Keith and uh, Curtis. Thanks very much. It's cool to be on the podcast. Welcome. What an intro that was, Curtis. Nice job. It was very cool. dramatic. Thanks. I, I, want, I, wanted to, I, thought it, I thought I should probably kind of let the er go for a little bit longer, but then I thought it'd be kind of awkward. So. Right on. <laughs> so Gary was actually like a surprise additional guest once with me and Curtis. Um, and so, but let's, now we're actually getting to hear from you a little bit personally, which I'm really stoked about. Let's hear a little bit about your musical backstory and how your band came together. Okay, cool, thanks. Well, um, I came in, just going back maybe, when I started guitar, I was in like various little bands here and there. Um, Then I did one recording with someone, we went to someone's place and he had a little recording set up with Cubase and, and everything. And once I saw sort of how that all worked and just the potential of what can be done with that, I was like, oh, this is the route I have to take. Um, so managed to get hold of Cubase eventually and just started messing around, but, but didn't do too much with it for quite a few years, actually, <laughs> just recording like little ideas. And then I thought eventually, you know, let me actually try and figure out, figure out and record something decent or try and put something together. So that's more or less how it started. Um, and that also was like my main introduction to like audio engineering and and stuff like that. So that was where I also began checking on YouTube for like ideas and how to go about tackling a mix and, and that sort of thing and how to get your sound as like as big as possible. And I think that's kind of an ongoing like learning thing. So yeah. Um, so I do that and then, yeah, I just, I got like the first album out, which was um, in 2013 and, uh, it wasn't too bad, but it was it was a good start to seeing what uh, where I was headed and what could could be done. Yeah, so that's more or less um, what got me to this point, at least. Nice, and uh, you know, I think uh, there's a lot of credit there. I think we live in an amazing age where there used to be a period of time when the only way to acquire studio knowledge was a to work in a professional studio alongside an expert person. B mm. Uh, you know, the, I mean, like years and years ago, there when I was coming up, there was no class. There was barely classes to learn how to do audio engineering and producing. It was a skill you had to acquire over time. Or when gear became mildly affordable, we'll call it, in the 80s, home recording studios, Tascam. I remember having a Tascam Porta Studio 2 and 4 to try to make home demos, which were all, like, you know, good for the writing process, but, you know, not necessarily make me a star producer of any stripe. Um, But I really, you know, like, we live in an amazing age now where we have technology that will, you know, let us learn, like, incredible skills. So props to you, man. 
Oh, no, thanks. Yeah, and it's, uh, like I say, it's an ongoing pro process of, like, getting things better and, yeah. Yeah, but no, it certainly, it makes, at least for, I think, um, solo artists, it's a, a big help that we can actually just set up a little system on the computer and have, like, even a portable studio and able to record stuff, which, yeah, we weren't able to do that so easily, sort of, uh, I don't know, in the early 90s or whatever. <laughs> Right, and well, then uh, when when you're gonna when you're gonna share files, if you share files with the band or, you know, anything you've worked on collaboratively or individually, what do you use? Do you guys have? I, I'm, I'm unfamiliar. Do you use Dropbox, uh, Google Drive, a cloud? Uh, yeah, in fact, I generally use either Google Drive or Dropbox. Um, I tend to prefer Google Drive, um, but otherwise, just I send the MP3s just through Facebook or, yeah. Something like that. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's nothing too different from anywhere else, I don't think. Now, one question I, I had just in regards to, it's not really a recording question or anything like that, but okay, so I, I know you and me have spoken about this before in the past, but just for our listeners, mm -hmm. so with the lack of um, stable internet where you live, how do you manage to be able to really you know, get your music uploaded and stuff like that reliably without, you know, have, you know, with, with what you have, I, I hope that's a clear question, but it's kind of like, how, like, what do you do? <laughs> yeah. um, I think uh, the internet here is not so terrible. I think um, it's good enough at least um, to upload albums and stuff. So if it does fail, you could probably just try a little bit later on. There's always, yeah, at some point where, the internet is going to be fine. It's usually in the evenings. That's when things seem to kind of speed up on the net and then and it's fine. So it's not usually too much of a struggle to get stuff downloaded or uploaded. Yeah. Okay. What about just for making the music in general then? Because one of the things Chris had mentioned to us was that, like, I mean, he had to basically, you know, sometimes he had to have a generator going just to get, the mu get music even made, right? <laughs> That's true. No, the power cuts have... Um, well, we're, we're quite terrible um, for the past year. So <laughs> that, that was a big mission. Um, and certainly it stifled productivity a lot, I think. So, yeah, um, I think if you were going to organize to have guys come around and try and record something, you would have to have a, a generator as a backup just in case the power went off. Um, but, you kind of work or, but you just kind of work around it, though? That you would, yeah. Well, in fact, just that, that if you're doing a recording session, just actually run off generator because you don't want the power to go off midway and then, then it's emissions. That's <laughs> yeah, fucking no, the insane. Power, <laughs> it, it was ridiculous. I mean, I mean, almost, I mean, it's not bad now with the lockdown. We've actually had power almost, almost constantly, which is quite strange for us. Really? Yeah. That's, that's weird because I thought the reason they were cutting the power off was because of too much usage. I would think there'd be more with the lockdown. That's weird. Uh, yeah, maybe not with um, the industry industrial sector being off now. I think that's probably why. Oh, okay. No, I understand that now. Okay, yeah. so are you use are you using this additional electricity to be more productive musically, or or no? I know definitely. I'm certainly while there's power, I try and try to do what I can. Um, even if it's not music, it's trying to do some other black graphics work that I do. Um, but yeah, no, it's definitely, you know, make uh, hay while the sun shines, I guess. <laughs> uh, 
But yeah, that's, no, in fact, that's a great that's a great cliche. I haven't I, heard I that saying in like this. yeah, I haven't I haven't thought about that cliche in like thirty five years since I was a little kid. That's amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, Curtis basically asked the question I had in my mind too, which and certainly we hope that everyone, your band, your families, your friends, no one is stricken with this thing. I hope you haven't lost any level ones to this thing. Yeah, but, um, yeah, I was gonna say I I, I, I you know we, we're familiar with uh, we we now that we've uh, amassed. A, a little bit of body of uh, talking to, you know, heavy musicians from Africa. We're learning all the different intricacies and issues of, um, you know, problems. Let's say uh, that you guys may face challenges. So I was going to say, you know, obviously you're on lockdown. Does this uh, the quarantine situation uh, affecting the band's current plans, like immediate plans? Um. Well, for me, not not so much. Um, I'm trying to think with um, the dividing the element guys. I think that's how I was trying to keep things going. Um, I don't think any immediate plans have been stifled really at the moment. Um, in fact, because this lockdown is giving us more time to sort of <laughs> sit and focus on what we want to do or to create new music. So, you know, we're just sort of trying to carry on as normal. Um, yeah. <laughs> Now, now, just as a clarification, so now you are working with Dividing the Elements still, right? With helping them with the production or mixing, I can't remember which it was. Um, I had helped them before in, um, on the mix of the, the, the last album. Okay. The current uh, stuff that they're doing right now, um, they've kind of just done it on their own and I didn't really get involved. Okay, then, then, my, then my next question doesn't apply in that end of things. But um, what I was going to say, though, was are you do you have any other bands that you're planning on working with in the near future other than Dividing the Element? No, but now we know that you're not. Um, no, well, not, nothing that's come up at the moment. So, yeah, what I'll be probably doing is just trying to focus more on my own stuff, I think. But if another band does decide they want um, a bit of help with something on the mix side or mastering, I'd certainly be keen to do that. Now, what about outside of metal? Have you have you done any sort of type of work with bands that are outside of the metal metal uh, genre, or just dividing the element? I'm, I don't know if I ever actually asked you that or not. Yeah, um, can't really remember, but I have helped like um, a couple of friends. Um, you know, just do their own little recordings for their own productions that they wanted to do. Um, the one was just um, and like an ex-band mate's daughter who wanted to do a few like cover songs of like um, Taylor Swift and stuff like that. Nice. To just sort of do a demo album for herself. So they came and did that here at my place. And it was quite cool to do that as well because it's, again, a different approach to how you do the sound. And that was quite a cool learning ex experience. So yeah, I have done the odd little thing here and there like that. Well, okay. So Keith, did you want to say something before I ask my next one? Okay, Keith's not there. Okay, so my, my next question that then was then how would you how is it different to doing non-metal to metal like just in terms of like kind of figuring out how you want the sound to be and what to do if that makes sense? Because um, I mean like there's got to be a much different approach like when you're doing like nuclear winter dividing the element type stuff and then recording like you know Taylor Swift cover songs I would imagine. I mean I'm not I'm not an I'm I'm not like a sound guy, so I don't know, but I'm I'm genuinely curious if there is. Um, I think mm, I'm just trying to think what was different. It's um, I think I had to be more careful with the vocals because um, 
in metal, you can kind of get away with quite a bit. Um, in fact, it probably in some cases sounds better to have some sort of weird thing going on in the vocals, whereas doing something like a Taylor Swift cover like she was doing, um, yeah, had to be more kind of, um, on top of what was happening vocally, that sort of was coming across nicely. Because any like sibilance or popping or stuff like mm -hmm. that, that's a lot more noticeable in that sort of um, music, I think. So it was just to take care, a bit more care in like the subtleties of the vocals, I'd say. Interesting. Keithy, you've done you've done both metal and and non-metal stuff. What can you explain explain like a little bit more of the differences to me? I'm just genuinely curious because, like he's saying, it's just mainly vocals. But is there other stuff too that um, you're aware of? I mean, distortion and heavy guitars and HM2 pedals hide a lot of mistakes of guitar players. Uh, I think okay. a lot of again, I'm sure Gary. I definitely any of my production work was years and years ago, mostly with bands yeah. that I was in, but I also. Yeah. I, I think I co-produced a couple of early records for friends of mine. Uh, this is uh -huh. like literally 25 years ago, so it's not the same animal. This is before yeah. Pro Tools and Fruity Loops and anything else you could work on, um, you know, sound modules and, uh, you know, all kinds of mimickers and things. But um, for me, I you know, there's a lot of people, I would say Gary will probably agree with this, uh, I'm guessing. A lot of bands think that they're tight and ready to go in and record. And then the producer hears the song and it's like, nope, that's not quite like, I, I'm not saying I wrote your song, but you can hear what people are going for and you can hear accuracy and mistakes, especially drummers and guitar players because of mis uh, like, unless you meet, unless you're a certain kind of band that's like free form and improvisational and avant-garde jazz or something like Kilter, a band that Curtis works with where these guys are master jazz musicians and you don't yep. nothing is a mistake it's all on purpose but most regular bands especially rock bands can tend to be a little sloppy and I was like a taskmaster type of person in the bands I had where I was like learn the parts and then you would go we went in my very first recording experiences you could see who was not ready to record because they couldn't yeah. nail a part. And even I had that problem. This is a, an infamous uh, story about my first band's terrible first album. And there was a very complicated ending riff, like a Slayer chromatic, weird off time riff very fast, mm -hmm. like, you know, 280 beats per minute. I could barely play it. And I, and I literally had to do like eight takes on the bass to get this riff, right? It was like, not cause I was lacking skill, because it was a hard, it was hard in like what's acceptable in the studio to rehearse and what's acceptable on, on stage when no one knows is different, right? That's, I think I was going to say, that's probably where you divide that line too, right? Yeah, no, definitely. I a hundred percent agree with that. It's yeah. So now just, just out of curiosity, now, now again, cause I, I'm not like a production type guy or anything like that. So bear with me here if I'm asking stupid questions on it. So like, how do you kind of figure out like, where you want to go production wise when you're starting to record, record something, Gary. Um, I think there's always a slight idea in like in my head of where I've more or less wanted to go. And once I've got a couple of ideas down, like, um, the drum sound and the guitar sound, and, and that's more or less in the direction that I want, then I know I can sort of build upon that, but it might so change you, a little bit on the way. Um, like when you start that. with the drums though, you said, yeah. But in fact, that's how I generally start any sort of new recording. It's just a very basic drum beat with, and then just kind of start trying ideas on the guitar to that. And then once something kind of uh, sounds cool, then I can try and build from there. But I think I generally do have an idea in my, 
my mind at least of more or less where I wanted to go. So, yeah. Well, um, so, okay. So, but why, why do you start with the drums though? I mean, I've always like, I'm, I'm just curious about that because I've heard other people where they kind of, where they'll start with the guitars first. I, I'm just uh, genuinely curious why, why you start with the drums first. Well, I'd say, no, let's, the guitars and the drums. I'll just have the drums just there as a, kind of a timekeeping thing, just to get an idea of, I suppose, the beat or the groove of it. Um, but the guitar is still like the main thing that I'm kind of working to figure out what to do. <laughs> is Keith, Keith, just to have you back in on, in yeah, on this, drums. is it always the drums, but usually? Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, I think okay. it's my experience. Yeah, my experience is drums are hard, the, some of the hardest things to dial in correctly okay. and take the longest amount of time to set up just because of the gear. Whereas okay. if you're, you have, you're, you know guitar as a producer or you your guitarist is very adept, you can punch right in usually what you need or if it's room miking amps or whatever it is. I think drums just take the most work and also typically, theoretically, in most regular, you know, let's say most um, non avant-garde music drums push the song so you need the sure. drum and the tempo you don't always have a scratch guitar track for practice as the guide yeah. but you need the drums to create the rest of the track accurately okay that's true you can't put the drums on unless the guitar player has got imma immaculate rhythm and has practiced with a metronome and wrote the song and has all the perfect tempo changes without any mess ups you know, which is rare. Ask any guitar player to play an entire playthrough perfectly. You see all these playthrough videos. Those guys are listening to their own track as well to keep yeah. the correct tempo. Because you will just, especially if it's a song you've played like a million times, go watch Paul Stanley's uh, isolation home videos that he's making right now where he's playing through like Kiss songs. Yeah. Now he's played these songs. He's, you know, Kiss, he has played these songs like probably a million times. And I'm not exaggerating, a million times oh, in 50 poor. years of Kiss. Yeah. And so, you know, but he all, I, I don't know that he's 100% accurate on those guitar parts. And I'm a mm -hmm. huge Kiss fan, you know, so. Fair enough. Uh, okay, so just getting off, unless Keith has more questions on the recording aspects of thing. Mm -hmm. I'll write this. Okay, second, cool. Nope. Okay, so I wanted to get back on to, uh, now let's talk about the coronavirus, which is on everybody's mind. Okay, can you give a br brief rundown on what it's, what is going on where you're, where you're located? You're in Harare. So if you can go give a brief rundown on what's happening, if you're under lockdown for how long, uh, blah, 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 and then we can go from there. Right, sure. No, we started the lockdown on the 1st of April, and it was meant to go until the 21st. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're apparently we're waiting to hear from the president to make an announcement this weekend to see if it's going to be extended or not. Um, Yikes. But I think it probably, it probably will be um, because South Africa has apparently extended theirs. So whatever South Africa does, we tend to do here as well. Yeah. But, uh, mm -hmm. but the lockdown hasn't been too enforced. I mean, there's quite a few cars on the road and um, you can go to the shops and, and stuff and you'll see people like you know, chatting on corners on the side of the road. Um, but I think in town, in the, like the main city, that's where the cops are kind of traveling around and breaking up any sort of gatherings. But generally, it's been fairly peaceful and, yeah, nothing. So, well, here's my key question here is, so what happens if you break quarantine in Zimbabwe? Do you get arrested? Do you get fined or nothing happens? I know. That, um, well, my friend the other day was actually traveling around town for some reason. I'm not too sure why, but... He got stopped by by the cops, and um, they gave him quite a hard time. He had to 
plead with them for like quite a while for them to let him go. They wanted to impound his vehicle and wow. he was like, yeah, so it can get serious. I think if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, you could be arrested or just the cops will give you quite a, a, yeah. a hard time. <laughs> but so generally, what about, um, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, no. Well, what I was going to say is, well, so what, what's it been like with, with the shopping there? Is it, is it all the shelves are getting emptied? Like that's what it was like at the beginning for us. It's now gone back to normal, but what's it like there for that? Okay. It's kind of, I think the opposite. Um, the shops generally didn't have any mad rush of people trying to buy stuff. Okay. Um, and so far they're still quite well stocked, but some things are running out like um, a bunch of tinned uh, food items are not, not available right now. And uh, various things but generally there's um like the main things are available that you need like meats and bread and that sort of thing vegetables so right now it's okay but you do you do have to queue for a little bit to get into the shops they are sort of only getting a certain amount of people in at a time which is good i think are, are you guys allowed to buy booze and alcohol or booze and cigarettes there like i think it was in south africa i heard you can't do that that's right no we still can here i think they wanted to try that here there's like announced uh, no more alcohol for sale. And then later that day or something, <laughs> decided to go back on that announcement. So it's still okay. We can still buy alcohol and stuff. Interesting. Okay. So, and then um, next part about the coronavirus slash lockdown is, um, so how has that affected you as a musician, if it, if at all? Mm. Um, hasn't really had any negative effect at all. In fact, yeah, it's given me time to sort of sit and record a couple of new ideas and stuff, which um, I'll be keen to let you hear fairly soon. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it's, yeah, no, I think it's given me a bit more time to sit and, yeah, come up with ideas and, yeah. Cool. Okay. Keith, I'll let, I'll let you fire off the next one since I've been hogging. Yeah, sure thing. Um, <laughs> kind of, yeah, no worries. Just kind of pivot away a little bit from, uh, you know, obviously – Every one of our podcasts lately, and even other ones I've been on as a guest, we just can't stop talking about this thing. This is, um, you know, I, I hate to keep using the word unprecedented, but most of us in our lifetime have never, you know, experienced this kind of thing. But just to kind of, you know, keep the focus on Gary and his <laughs> career, what I wanted to kind of start talking about was what does the future look like when this thing is all over? And do you think that Music, you know, I still think that, a, you know, a, an actual experienced producer is always going to be in demand because I think a lot of people just don't have the confidence to do it themselves. And a lot of bands are not good at self-editing. But do you think that uh, just the average Joe and Jane musician are going to start getting better home setups to just improve their skills? Or do you think this is a thing where it's just going to be sort of, a, you know, the producer will always be the gatekeeper? Um, yeah, I'm just trying to think about that um you know i think definitely more musicians probably gonna get their own little setups and in fact i was chatting to matt today the bassist from dividing the element and he was talking about getting his own sort of recording setup not necessarily to like just to well i don't know maybe his own music but just even as a band where separate members can have their own little setups to record ideas that's certainly going to help productivity in the long run and i think that is probably going to will happen more in the future and i don't think yeah if they just practice enough i think um the production of it yeah you won't really have to have a producer producer initially but 
yeah, no, I can see it um, sort of heading that way, <laughs> more solo artists and having their own recording setups. Because it's becoming more accessible now. I mean, there's, I mean, programs are becoming cheaper to, to get. And yeah, it's just much more available than it was years ago, I think. <laughs> Well, here's here's the problem, though, is 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 that's good, but at the same time, my my opinion is that can also really reduce the quality because you can have anybody, you know, make music. <laughs> In fact, that's true as well. Yeah, <laughs> probably get like, a, yeah, a ton of yeah, just mediocre stuff, maybe. <laughs> what what's your thoughts, Keith? Like, I mean, I think it's good. Like, you got people like Gary who knows what they're doing, but then I don't know. This seems a bit like could be a bad thing. You know what I mean? Well, I don't know. I, I think anything, technology usually makes astronauts and, uh, you know, explorers of all of us, you know. Uh, I, I think there's definitely a correlation in my personal life when I, um, you know, there was definitely a period of time when I had junky gear and mm -hmm. I was getting better as an artist, but my gear was kind of behind where I was as a young either vocalist or bass player or guitarist for me. And then I got like an influx of gear. I came, uh, infamously, my mom went out shop, was like supposed to take me shopping for a new guitar and bass. And she ended mm -hmm. up buying the guys in my band guitars and basses also, <laughs> like guitars That's and awesome. amps. That's awesome. Uh, I don't know. It was like a weird, it was like the first time in our life we were out of poverty in my whole mm -hmm. childhood, in my whole young adult life. And That's I awesome. had like lived my entire childhood through poverty and, uh, you know, and, you know, not a lot. And then in my 20s, we, we were sort of, you know, working class and stable for the first time ever. And mm. uh, like my mom had credit for the first time ever. We went to the guitar store. And that's when she was like, do you want a guitar? Do you want a pedal? Do you need that's a new amp too? You can pay me back. My mom was that kind of mom. So um, awesome. personal Keefe story. But I think that new gear, I think the same is true for producers. When a new piece of studio gear is introduced into the, you know, your typical setup, it makes you re-examine everything that you do and become better. Do you agree? What do you think about that, Gary? No, definitely. That's true. I think um, there's always, <laughs> you're always on a quest to like get some sort of new piece of equipment. And it does. It um, inspires you to like try something different or, yeah. Even if so, it's not something, yeah, no, sorry. <laughs> well, what I was going to say is like, well, let's say that you do like, like, like in a country like yours where you don't really have like, most people don't have a lot of access to equipment. How, how do you innovate if you can't, unless I'm mistaken and it's a lot easier to access than I thought. Mm, no, it is quite difficult here. I think at least for um, instruments and pro audio stuff, I mean, it's available, but it's quite a bit more expensive than it should be because <laughs> it's usually sure. imported from South Africa or somewhere in the, uh, the people just put up their, uh, the prices more—it's uh, ridiculous sometimes. So that, that that is a problem here for like people to get decent equipment. Um, but I think um, the least software-wise, I think it's helping. Yeah, and you don't have to have like amps now because you've got like really good amp sims, and then there's a lot of virtual, like free virtual instruments that yeah, I can do a ton of stuff. So I think that's probably going to help where people can't get um, like physical instruments. So everything, so everything is going to be more accessible as a result of that, but you can't get the real, real thing you mean, right? Well, yeah, not easily. I think you can, yeah, you can at least get away with um, a lot of the digital stuff anyway. I mean, the amp sims right now are quite amazing. So <laughs> it'll save totally. having to buy a, a big amp and whatever. Um, 
I think as long as someone can get a decent enough guitar um, and then have a computer with uh, some sort of recording software, that you can do quite a lot just with that. Totally. Keithy, what are your thoughts on that? Like, do you think that's that's the way it's going to go or the way it should go? Because, I mean, that takes away, like you said, a lot of the gatekeeping and a lot of the quote-unquote pros. Yeah, I'm yes and no. So I think that, first of all, cost is always going to keep things uh, prohibitive for the starter musician, right? A lot of people have dreams. Uh, I talked about this uh, with Monica Strutt last night on my podcast. Um, And uh, like, you know, a band has, bands have a vision of making it in music that come from movies and magazines and lore. Like, you know, Led Zeppelin posed in front of their jet and kiss on top of a office building in Manhattan and, you know, like Deep Purple live in Japan, live at Budokan, you know, like we, people have dreams about what it is. You go make a record, everybody loves me and then I'm rich. That's just not what happens. And I'm a big believer in the 10,000 hour rule. And I think the 10,000 hour rule applies to the individual artist and musician and a band and a producer and the whole scene. So Mm -hmm. times four, if you're in a band, times your own time to call. I know some bands that were together for years and years and needed a long time to coalesce. And I know some bands that were like a solo, you know, a solo venture that eventually grew into a full project. So I think to, to answer the question a little more directly, I think, you know, I think gear makes people better. I think experience makes people better. I'm sure Gary wants a person to come in that can articulate what they want. Lindsay talked about this, I think, also um, in a blog where she said, by learning how to be, you know, by learning the language of a studio musician, I'm just better now at articulating what I want from my producer. So she's not going to go in at this point and also produce her albums, but you could also say in the future, she's probably going to produce someone else or co-produce her own work because on one hand, the artist knows exactly what they're going for. They just may not know how to elicit it from, you know, the board or the gear or the plugins or the mic placement or the tuning. And a person who's an experienced engineer or producer is always going to have not an advantage, but just going to be more, you know, a desirable person. And, and personally, I think just as a last thing, I'll say again, bands, you're not as ready as you think you are. And you need uh, an experienced set of ears that aren't your own. Cause also your music to a lot of people is like their children and they're too close to it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I would agree with that. Um, did you have any more questions on, on this aspect, Keith? Because I got another set that I, I wanted to go off on. No, I, I, I'm sure we're going to start winding it down, but uh, totally. you feel free and ask your set of questions. I probably have a last one for Gary also. Cool. Mine is just basically in regards to, okay, so what are you, I mean, I know the answer to this sort of, but so what are you doing to promote you yourself, Nuclear Winter, um, you know, just as a musician, like what, what avenues are you currently using in order to promote yourself? Um, to be honest, not, not that much. I generally just, um, will upload my stuff to Facebook and YouTube and that's about as far as uh, I've done it. Um, so which is why I was very pleased. Um, Chris introduced me to you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Cause I, I think that's one thing I'm really bad on is self promotion. I generally, I like to just sit and do the music and then, you know, that's, I, I struggle to take it further than that. So, yeah, no, I think 
yeah, I think having someone to help sort of push push it out is certainly the way forward for me, I think, because I certainly won't do that well just doing promotion on my own. <laughs> I, ju- I just got my horn tooted, I think. Um, yeah. <laughs> what, one for, one follow-up question to that is, now, what, now what, because this, this interests me uh, as a PR, why do you think that musicians do not like to toot their own horns and promote themselves a lot of the time. I mean, some do. There's a lot that do, right? Mm-hmm. But I mean, there's also a lot, like you said, that just want to make the music and just put it out there, but yeah. don't want to promote it. What? Why do you think that is? Just out of curiosity. Mm, gosh, um, that's quite a difficult one. I think. Um, <laughs> I don't know about others, but for me, I think. Um, I think maybe it's a thing of being a. Um, What's the word? I'm just trying to think why I don't. Um, sure. Uh, it's like probably have to maintain it quite a bit. I think um, if you start, um, just do like one little photos, photo shoot, and then then you don't do anything for months after that. Um, I think it's just the yeah, process of keeping up with it. I think that's what's a bit daunting. Like um, trying to think. I mean, apart from the, trying to do what we're doing musically, then to think, oh, what else can I do? to make myself look good online or whatever. It's just extra work, I think. That, so you're, you know. you're more just, you just like to create, you just don't like to talk about it. Is uh, that it? I don't mind talking about it, but to... Um, or flaunt like yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just, um, I don't know. <laughs> can't really think I'm like a really good excuse why not. <laughs> Fair enough. No, I, I I was just curious on that one. If if, if you don't have like a like a, a an in depth answer, that's totally fine. Um, mm. Okay, that was my final question, Keith. What uh, you want to go ahead with yours? Mm. Yeah, of course. I like to ask anybody that's in production uh, what their favorite sounding albums are, just as a mm. fan, and if there's a producer or a type of sound in particular, you personally like enjoy and you know this is my favorite you know mm-hmm. well i think probably recently the album that i think is astounding just um from a sound perspective there's um thought of the lost um what was the latest one uh more, what's it can't think of the title now what was lord of the lost <laughs> last album um no no their, their sound was like just so solid and just big. I just really kind of, whenever I compare, I think I use that album as like a reference, but for older stuff, I think, um, as I've said to Curtis, I thought, um, Motley Crue's Dr. Feelgood was an exceptionally good sounding album. Yes. Like everything just, just, um, fitted really well. So I think that's also a really good reference. Um, yeah, so that uh, other bands that I think have a really good sound, um, like Power Wolf, they they sound is quite quite solid, I think. So I just I, I don't know. I like to listen nice. for like a uh, pretty good balance. Like this. Mm. That's a good point. Ballads are a, a good way to judge good sound. Uh, I always feel like com- conflicted. Bob Rock is an amazing producer, and his credits mm. list is insane. And Curtis loves Motley Crue and Dr. Feelgood, so he loves any mention of Dr. of Motley Crue and Bob Rock. But I also yes. feel like I, my other association to Bob Rock is that he literally was with Metallica for so long, he started to affect them negatively by just being who he is. 
And then he right. thought he could like be in the band and he was going to be their bass player, which is like ludicrous on every level. Um, <laughs> you know, if you, I, I have never seen the, the entirety of that Metallica, some kind of monster movie, but I did watch the audition clips and I was like, his is not only terrible, he's not adequate on bass enough to play in Metallica. Like, I don't know why he thought know. that was the case. Um, <laughs> kind of like the rap, like the rap producers gone wild. Suddenly I'm also a rapper. Oh, seriously? Cool. Good story, bro. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Um, but any case, hey, Gary, man, it's been lovely having you uh, here on the podcast. I'd love to have you on again. We'll talk about some non-coronavirus things. Uh, please uh, make sure you send us all your links and uh, I got we'll tell all. all our listeners where to find you. Kurt has them. He got, I have he's got them all. All right. Yeah. No, definitely. Thanks. Right. It was really uh, cool. This is, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Appreciate you. This has been the Dumb and Dumbest Podcast. You have been listening. Are we done yet?